What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm breaking up some of the discussion podcasts into segments, and uh, we're adding some new things. We're doing trivia this week. We're adding some new things in the weeks to come, and I think you're going to like it. Also, you may have noticed like the title for this week's podcast is named after a quote. So there's going to be a contest associated with all these podcasts as well. The first person that sends me the timestamp of when that quote takes place within the pod, I'm going to mail you a prize. So just narrow it down to the nearest minute. If you hear the quote at 53 minutes and 30 seconds, you can say 53, you can say 54. YOLO, it's punk rock, dude. Keep it loose. But uh, you get close. Send me an email, uh, 185 miles south at gmail.com with uh, that timestamp and include your full name and your address, and I will send a prize to the first person that gets it. Also, the Patreons, you got a one hour head start. So if someone sends me uh, the correct answer at 1130, the Patreons got until 1229 to get it right, you know? So that's what's up. Please support the podcast by subscribing to it wherever you listen to it. Also, please like it, rate it, review it, do all that good stuff, and tell all your friends. If you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south, become a monthly Patreon. $1 gets you behind the paywall. Uh, There's bonus podcasts for basically every interview podcast. I bring some people on. We talk about the interview. We go through the discography related with that person. And uh, those are some of my favorite podcasts. Also, we'll be doing some new stuff in the weeks to come associated with these newer type podcasts. So check that out and let's get on with the pod. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. In this corner, the challenger fighting out of the hard corner. From Seattle, Washington, it's the Axeman of the band Change. It is the mighty, mighty, posy, positive Christopher Chris. And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner, from parts unknown, weight unknown. Reason he didn't pick minor threat in the straight edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles south trivia champion of the world, Daniel. These questions are too easy. Sant! And we're going to shoot the first question off to the mighty, mighty posy Chris. Now, Chris, before starting In My Eyes, Anthony Papalardo was a founding member of this straight edge band that shares the name of a Nintendo video game. Ten yard fight. Yeah. One point to Chris and two great bands. What's up with that? Okay, Daniel, see if you can even it out. Okay. On March 7th, 1981, minor threat played the nine 30 club with black flag. What was the fourth song in the set list that night? And what was the current moon cycle on that date? 
Um, the fourth song was Small Man, Big Mouth. And the moon cycle was Leo Rising. <laughs> no. You, that's what you get, dude, for saying all my questions are, are easy when I give you a couple <laughs> samples. Huh? The correct answer is I don't want to hear it. And the moon cycle was Waxing Crescent. Daniel, your real question is, the VHS comp Cinema Beer Goggles came out on Hopeless Records in what year? 1996. Incorrect. So we pass this off to Chris for the potential steal. 1997? Incorrect. This round <laughs> is 95. Yes, 1995. And amazing because Cinema Beer Tay comes out in 94 and they smash it right away. Again, with Cinema Beer Goggles in 95. So what's up with that? Hopeless Records bringing the heat in those mid-90s. Which is okay. the one with white caps on it. <laughs> it's uh, the first and the second one. Beer goggles Ooh. is the one with get beer on it, though. No, yes. get beer is on the first one. The the second one is that terrible song. Whatever happened to whatever happened to my American dream? Nine oh two one oh. Okay, Chris, we're gonna go to you. Uh, this noun played guitar on the platinum selling album Smash and is also a critical part of ramen. Oh. The- <laughs> it's not smelly is it noodles it is noodles point goes to chris am i being set up here <laughs> that was a good question dude yeah tenure fight and noodles versus the hopeless vhs categories i thought that was in your lane dude all right you know let's anyway. do it my bad okay Dan, back to you. Uh, Jersey Mike's and Blimpies never wrote CID or I live in a car. This one did. <laughs> the UK subs. <laughs> you got it. One point to Daniel. See, you get some good ones too. <laughs> I know That was a very well-written question. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, all right. We're going back to Chris. Ironically, this question starts out also with Chris. Chris Kelly ran Teamwork Records and sang for this notable 90s hardcore band named after Skateboard Wheels. 97A. One point to Posse Chris. Much respect. He's he's uh, pitching a shutout, man. What's up with that? Okay, Dan, we're going to you. Again, in your wheelhouse. We'll see. The third and fourth pressings of the Minor Threat Out of Step 12-inch have this price tag on the front cover. See, now you've got me thinking when you say in my wheelhouse, you've got me double guessing whether you mean the UK pounds stripe at the top or the. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. No, the, okay. The US, the dollar. $3.50. Yes. Good job. Also, side note on the back cover of the second press. Thank you to Dave Mandel for that uh, tidbit. Okay. And we're going back to Chris. Chris, this band featured the singer of Chain of Strength and would be a good way to describe a tornado. I don't know. 
Put the I pressure said, on. Hey, I could I can steal before you tell us the answer. Yeah, he said he said I don't know, so he didn't have to get the yeah, pressure put on. Um, Circle storm, Alex. Uh, a steal for Daniel. Steal for Daniel. Circle storm. Okay, Dan. This weirdo played drums on the Germs Lexicon De- Devil Seven Inch. Oh my god! This is a tip of the tonga right here. Um, shit. Oh God, I feel like I'm going to get the pressure music any moment now and it's scaring me. We'll see what umpire badge says. Uh, um, Zach hit the button. I can't take this pressure. Don Bollies. Chris for the possible steal. Chris, this weirdo played drums on the Germs Lexicon Devil 7-inch. I have no idea. I'm the worst with names. I had no idea either. This was Ben's question. So, respect to both of you. The answer was Nikki Beat. It okay. wasn't Don Bollis? Seriously? Ben? Hey, I even give you a clue in the question itself. This weirdo played drums. So, you know it's the drummer of the weirdos. Eh, yeah. Anyway. But but only you and four other people know who the drummer of the weirdos is, Ben. And think about this on the text chain the next time you shit talk me for uh, easy questions. Yeah, you guys really sharpened your knives. <laughs> All right, we're going back to Chris. The first track of War Zones, Don't Forget the Struggle, Don't Forget the Streets LP is called Intro Bust. The band members bring up the fact that singer Rabies is not in the studio. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly where he was, but I believe he was going there for the reason of getting the Warzone woman. Yes, a point to Chris. <laughs> so, so what? What's that location? Just Warzone Womenville? <laughs> I had he went to get the Warzone women. Lower East Side, probably right. <laughs> can I just say word about that? You can. And it was appreciated. Okay. According to the straight ahead song, we stand. Some people's attitudes do what? Oh, my God. I don't know. You're going to have to. Chris, we're going to shoot it over to you for the potential steal. No idea. They stink. Some (laughs) people's attitudes stink. Yeah. That was mine. Yeah, yeah. Dan, does it ring a bell now? Yeah, well, once you say it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. This, this is hard. I'm glad I'm on this side of the mic, you know? Um, okay, Chris, we're going to shoot this one to you. On the cover of The Chain of Strength, True Till Death 7-inch, is the bass player or the guitarist jumping higher? That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to say bass player. A point to Chris. Yeah. Ace player guess. is jumping higher. <laughs> Much respect. Okay. All right. And let's go back to Dan. Actually, Ben. Well, I shouldn't ask now. We should ask after this next one. And we'll get a we'll get a count of where well, we're I'm, at after I'm this losing. Match. I'm losing big time. Yeah, but you can get a point back right here. Dan, the punk band 88 Fingers Louie is named after a gangster who sells pianos in this cartoon. Um, Dick Tracy. 
we'll shoot it to Chris for the potential. Scene. Oh, fuck. But I know Dick Tracy probably wasn't the gangster. <laughs> no, no. He said in which cartoon. And that's why I said Dick. Uh, Tracy. What's the question again? Punk band 88 Fingers Louie is named after a gangster who sells pianos in this cartoon. I don't know. Is it Inspector Gadget? No, it's the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that off the top of my head either. That was that was some Googling. I was like, what does 88 Fingers Louie mean? And that's what it means. <laughs> all right. All right, now so, we know. Yeah, I know. Now you all know. I know. See, it's trivia and fun facts. So what's up? Is the final round worth 10 points? <laughs> it should be because, you know, <laughs> you know, Dan, you were saying the questions are probably too easy. And then Ben's like, we got to hit him with a hard one round seven. You know, it's like, see, they're not as easy as we think. It's, it's just they seem easy because when you know the answer. Well, let me tell you, Zach, you wouldn't have got that germs drummer, weirdos drummer combo. Oh, not a fucking chance. Yeah. And- I would not have gotten that. No way. I actually you, you could ask me right now and I could I wouldn't be able to tell you the <laughs> <laughs> no, beats as a beats, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mickey beat. No, I know. Like, you know, I, I got this sheet going and I wrote out probably like a hundred questions and Ben wrote out ten and I didn't know the answers to any of his. So <laughs> yeah. I had to look up some of the answers to the questions. <laughs> but see, ben, if you don't know it, no one's gonna know it. You are the encyclopedia, dude. Come on. But they're question they're good questions because it's like <laughs> they relate to records everyone knows. You know what I mean? No, it's not like fun facts. Yeah, you know. but you know what? There's things called fun facts and then unfun facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh we We'll let Dan and Chris be the judge after these next two questions. If these are fun or unfun facts. <laughs> um, and these are just one point, although they sh- should probably be 10 point questions. They're funner, they're, they're funner when Dan gets stumped, but then they become less fun when I realize that I got to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel that. <laughs> uh, okay. Chris, who played drums on the youth of today? Seven inch can't close my eyes. Oh man, uh, Mike Judge. Dan, let's go to you for the potential steal. Um, I'm just gonna go because I I don't know who it is. I'm just gonna uh, guess a uh, someone that may have been around doing it. So I'm gonna say. Armand from Sick of It All. Can I guess again if that's wrong? Um, you can guess, but for no point. <laughs> Unfun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luke? Uh, Darren Pesky. Did I oh, pronounce that correctly? Luke? Ben? I have no idea how it's pronounced. And <laughs> even if either of you got his first name, I w- you would have still gotten the point. Yep. <laughs> Youth crew legend, Darren Heskey. Pe- Pesky. 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 P- well, maybe it's Pesky. Pesky. probably. Oh, but, Pesci. But isn't he the uh, <laughs> Pesky Pescado from Rubio's Tacos? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Wet Bandit from Home Alone. <laughs> that was his next career, was Pesky Pescado. Darren, much respect, and I apologize for all of us. I would rather have uh, who is the Rubio's... <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, go for it. I'm ready for my own fun fact. Okay, final round. Uh, Ben's trying to hit you a little too close to your heart here, Dan. Oh, okay, God. the first press of Life, Love, Regret contains this message on the Matrix. And we need side A and side B. Oh, my God. Uh, I sh- I should know this, but why would I know this <laughs> at the same time? I do. Um, you know what? I'm going to just have to say I don't know. Chris, we're going to pass this to you for the potential steal. <laughs> for the steal. Is it fuck California? Don't don't blame me. I come from a metal scene. <laughs> it is not. Side A is, I don't know if this is rendezvous or deja vu. And side B is, I saw nine pictures of Jesus suffering. I didn't know which one to choose. <laughs> and was that a fun or an unfun fact? It's a fun fact. Fun. Dan, uh, ben, let's go to you, you for the totals. All right. Uh, we have Dan with two points <laughs> and Chris for the win with five. What? Right. I demand Chris. a recount on that. <laughs> uh, ben, ben, uh, I've done a recount. I've done a recount. <laughs> we have Dan with three points. Oh. And Chris for the win with five. Okay. Right. Okay. Good. Good. Well, Dan, you should demand another recount. You're getting a point extra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait. I demand a recount too. <laughs> All right. On the final count. Second recount. Uh, third count total. 11. It is still Dan with three and Chris with five. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, Posse Chris, the winner of our initial trivia challenge. But who's the returning champ? We'll find out next time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, it's time to talk hardcore. Help me out. It is the best dressed man on the pod. It is Daniel Sant. Also helping out, he is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up? What's (laughs) up? All right, dude. So we're just going to talk some hardcore. And this first question was submitted to us. By a man who's bound by honor. You tell him that his time won't last. You tell him that his time has passed. That's all bullshit. Aaron Belcher. Uh, he was asking us, when did hardcore become self-aware? And more specifically, when does it fall in love with itself? First off, before we dive into this, how do you guys perceive this question? Ben? Um, I think it's the greatest question we've ever been asked. Well, actually, usually we just come up with questions to ask ourselves. And so it's good that it's someone else asking us the question. Um, but I was, when, when you, when you posed that to me, I go, that's it. That's a great, like, it really made me have to think about it. And, and I mean, there's, there are a few ways to tackle it. Like to me, it's like the, here's where hardcore, should I just answer the question? As no, the best I can? not yet. Okay, not yet. All right. Well, I just thought it was a great question because Im- implied in it is that hardcore is in love with itself. So it's almost like a dig at hardcore, but maybe it's okay to love yourself. So maybe it isn't a dig after all. Yeah, if maybe you can't maybe love not, yourself. A lot how the hell can you love song, anyone else? Well, a lot of my favorite hardcore songs like are about like loving hardcore. I mean, like. I think about a band that came way later, right? Like Death Threat. They do Peace and Security in the year 2000. And some of his best songs are about hardcore. 
And like, those are songs that still resonate with me now because they're fucking timeless, you know? Well, Daniel, what's your take on this? Apparently they're not timeless because it's after hardcore became self-aware. <laughs> well, I think, but that's what I'm saying. Is, I, I know what you mean. You, you, I'm, can I'm ta- just you can take it the negative advocate. way of like, yeah, falls in love with itself and it's like, you know, filleting itself. Or you can say that it's, you're self-aware of we have this thing and we love it and we're going to tell you why. Well, I think it's a really thoughtful question from someone who obviously loves hardcore and thinks about hardcore holistically to ask this question. And I think that's what makes it uh, such a thought-provoking question. I mean, how about this? I will start with the first part of the question and then, Ben, you can you can uh, come in with the when did it fall in love with itself because I'm sure you have opinions on that. But I'm going to say, um, or uh, sorry, I meant Ben can like answer when does it fall in love with itself. Um, hardcore became self-aware the minute it was defined as hardcore, you know, like the minute it differentiated itself from traditional punk, it became the hardcore recognized like immediately as hardcore. So therefore it that's when it's self-aware like when it is taking a different faster more straightforward to the point path it differentiates itself and classifies itself as hardcore so do they classify it differently dan if so then nail down when that is and by who um i mean if i was to do a, a mental like guesstimation of when it's hardcore i think it's washington dc calling itself hardcore and specifically being able to have the dc in hardcore you know i'm sure people were referring to black flag and things like that as hardcore punk of course but then when it really becomes a genre unto itself is when five six seven eight bands in a scene are all identifying themselves that way. And I feel like Washington DC is the birthplace where many bands did it. Well, I'm glad that you're agreeing with me on when the birth of hardcore is, because you guys were arguing against me before that it was like the stuff that some people would consider punk, you know, or the hardcore punk, but I'm stripping off. Like, you know, obviously it's hardcore punk. It's hardcore, but like, yeah, that DC stuff, like they're leaning into we're hardcore. You know, it's not, it's not punk. I mean, it is fucking fuck. It is (laughs) punk, but it's like, it's definitively hardcore. It's something like different than like the 77 sound. Funny you mentioned that Dan, because just recently I interviewed Ian McKay and I asked him about this very topic and I, we were trying to figure out, you know, like, I basically I said, okay, t- you were in Teen Idols, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. What did you consider Teen Idols? How did you classify your own band at the time when you were a band? And he said, we considered ourselves hardcore punk because we looked at Sid Vicious mm-hmm. as punk rock and how you know, kind of uh, Sid Vicious had already died at this point. And he said, what a waste of life that was. I mean, he didn't say in so many words. I'm paraphrasing. 
he 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 diff- wanted to differentiate himself from from what Sid Vicious represented, and he goes and gradually, you know, we had the leather, we had the jackets and the spikes and the spiky hair, and and that kind of started going away. He goes, if you look at early Minor Threat, we don't have, you know, we're not wearing leather jackets, but I still have the boots. That by the end of Minor Threat, I'm just wearing sneakers. It's like it's drifting away from that stereotypical punk look and it's drifting towards this hardcore punk sound. And of course I'm doing this whole thing about saying that there's this middle stage. That's 1. like 1.5, 1. 1. 1. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm thinking of oh, teen idols, 1.5 minor threat, hardcore. But like I said, when did you first hear the term hardcore? And he says, you know, I can't remember. And we had this conversation with the guy I'm writing the thing with, Daniel Weitzman, and our friend David Jones, who's a total historian for this kind of stuff. And David Jones just like could email us like 30 minutes later. He'd be like, in 1978, in this magazine, it was referred to as hardcore. In 1979, in this magazine, it was referred to as hardcore. So it was the term hardcore was floating around in the late 70s in California. We know this. Uh, Damage magazine in San Francisco Flipside and Slash in LA and the Hardcore 81 is named by Joey Shithead because he's in San Francisco and he reads the like December 1980 issue of Damage. And there's this whole article about all these California bands that we're calling hardcore. But I don't know when when the punk drops off. I I I asked Ian about this. I said, So do you think he goes? And we started saying hardcore for, sh- which was short for hardcore punk. And I said, do you think the next generation of kids saw you guys saying hardcore without saying punk after it and began to think these are two totally separate things, which they're not and never should be. And he, go- and he kind of agreed with me on that. So yeah. you, ha- so you have this move away from punk, but so hardcore becoming self-aware, I think it's when songs about the scene and how we got to unite like all these songs start springing up where it's like, we, we, we. Um, and I think of LA youth brigade and they have that song fight to unite. And they're, uh, they're not, obviously that's like what 83, maybe that's so they're not the first. Yeah. That's not the first. And then I think of DC youth brigade we, they have, it's about time that we had a change. It's like, you know, he's basically talking about what's wrong with the scene. And it's like, we, it's about time that we had a, at a change as a scene to get rid of this shit that we don't like people going to bars and ignoring the bands just so like they, they can pick up on each other and, and yeah. like it doing drugs and fighting. Well, well, well there's a different ca- ca- differentiation in 1982 because on the urban waste seven inch, there's two lines, right? And he, the dude actually says, I'm not into punk rock. I'm not into hardcore. Like it's like two separate lines. He's not like, I'm not into hardcore punk or I'm not into, you know, whatever. It's like, he's literally d- differentiating. I'm not into punk rock. I'm not into hardcore. And that's right. 1982. Yeah. And then you hear that. Tr- I actually asked on Facebook uh, in some hardcore group, uh, there's a no echo one. I go, what's the first time a hardcore song uses the word hardcore in the song. And it was to prepare for this question. And I think I figured out that asshole by government issue where he says, I'm not like them. I'm not hardcore. Like that's early or mid 81. Like, and then, yep. But, but the DOA seven inch, like is the stamp of like, this is with, we're going from 
third to fourth give. We are hardcore, you know? So it, I mean, that terminology is bandying around, but it, it, I, like I stated before, I feel when so many different like-minded bands are in one scene is when it really starts to snowball and permeate out into the world from there. And I feel like you say, government issue doing it as well as, you know, minor threat, like they're, they're talking about their scene on both seven inches, you know? Yeah. And there's something that gets lost when something becomes too self-aware. Um, like the difference between, I know I'm going to piss off Bruce Springsteen fans. Um, so please, uh, you know, <laughs> take your, uh, take your headphones off and wait about uh, 60 seconds because you're going to be upset with what I'm about to say. But like, the difference between Chuck Berry and Bruce Springsteen is that Bruce Springsteen is like a pale facsimile of rock and roll with lyrics that are intentionally nostalgic. Like he's drawing attention to what he sees as the importance of rock and roll. Whereas Chuck Berry just is rock and roll. Like he's living it. And like, I know there's a lot of punk bands, hardcore punk, whatever you want to call them, like who are just in it, they're living it. And then it starts to, to look at itself in the mirror and but i I don't i don't have a problem with it but there there's 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 a magic to someone who is just living in the moment and and not not overanalyzing of course but the people who are living in the moment and are seeing things happen in the thing they love so much and then are addressing them in their next song is just as important as the people who are just well, I don't give a shit. I'm just hardcore. I'm playing these songs. Like the referencing and curating and loving on your scene is a massive part of this. It's part of the DNA of hardcore. Yeah. It's, and I- it's why hardcore is different from punk, even though my general thesis on it all is that it is all punk. And I agree with that. And I actually wrote that. Hardcore's self-awareness is a defining feature of hardcore. So we agree. Yeah, I want to give an early example of it being self-aware. And it's like the awareness that I love so much. Uh, It's the seven second song, Skin Brains Guts, where he says, walk the streets, you point at me. Yeah, hardcore pride is what you see. Your insults are a parody because you're so fucking scared of me. That is so ill. And that's 1982. Yeah. Yes, that's another one that came up and 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 Nazi punks fuck off where he says you ain't hardcore if you spike your hair when jocks still live inside your head. You know, he's 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 aware enough that, you know, within the scene, we have this scourge that we have to eliminate. And right. And he's pointing the finger. The difference I see there is like he's defining someone else saying like you're not true, but he's not saying like what true is. And I love this seven seconds line because it's Kevin like. This is me, and I'm fucking riding for it. You know, well, yeah. Hardcore pride is what you see, and like that line is so ill. Like it is, but I do think Jello is defining. If you have a jock living inside your head, you are not hardcore punk. <laughs> your ethics, like if you want to be macho or or preen and pose or beat someone up at these shows or cause problems or act like a fucking Nazi, you're not punk. So. Like I feel that. that. I agree. I agree with that part. It's just a different approach. Yeah. 
you know, and I, I love it's the, a bit like, more poetic. It's, yeah, it's, it's more poetic, but that's like one of the things that's so great about seven seconds is it's just so visceral and raw lyrically, yeah. right? There's like no fluff. And I love him saying like, yeah, this is me. Like, this is me. And so he's defining himself as something in 1982. And so that's like very early self-awareness. Now I want to say that when this question was posed, the first thing I thought of was, you know, like later agnostic front, like they get very nostalgic on some songs. Um, And then I was thinking about like earlier examples of that and the judge song, New York crew. That's like one where he's like, you know, in remembrance of old New York, you know, and that's like New York crew is what? 88. Yeah. Yep. So in 88, you're already like being nostalgic of an earlier time of seven years ago. And so like, that's a early example of like hearkening back, you know, because in, in 81, 82, 83, like there's not a whole lot of like hearkening back of like, you know, last year was way iller than this year. You know, you have to have a little bit of time separation. So it's interesting that, you know, in those, you know, half a decade or so, you can like have enough separation that you can look back and be nostalgic on something. But that's oh, another, that's like a separate question that's equally intriguing is like, when did hardcore become nostalgic for itself? You know? I think that's what Aaron's getting at in a way um, by saying, when did it fall in love with itself? Because you're only addressing things that you truly care about, you know? So whether it's as one, you know, the Warzone song that is telling everyone like we have to stick together because beyond these walls, that's the real world and that fucking sucks. So let's all come together and have not have problems. Whereas um, like the, the New York crew reference is talking about, it's basically like old sea, sea tales to the, to the younger things. Like this is what happened when, you know, Boston came around and, you know, it's those kind of stories all lumped into one, but then yeah, talking about like where you hung out, like, yeah, this yeah. is where we hung out back in the day. Yeah. And then there's the other elements of it. Like Ben talked about earlier with the GI song of actually commenting in real time about the shows, <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, I, I did this many, many times. <laughs> um, in my lyrical approach to things like uh, over my dead body had a song called to the core, which literally was name dropping peer bands and venues just to mark a moment in time that potentially, you know, 15, 20 years later, somebody could listen to and know, get a little snapshot of what it was like in 2001, you know? And it's going to yeah, help I mean, us I have a nostalgic song on, I think, every single record. There's at least one song about hardcore on at least every single Retaliate record. Yeah, and I see, and Fields of Fire. Like all, I mean, we can't help but reference. <laughs> you write lyrics about things you feel strongly about or what you really love. And obviously, hardcore is going to be a topic. And it's also become a trope. <laughs> you know, when you think of what, it is to write hardcore lyrics being self-referential about hardcore is one of the tropes that kind of is subconsciously just going to come to the fore when you write. I feel, I mean, if it's something you love and care about and you're living, how dishonest would it be to not touch on you? Yeah. Yeah. Like it is me, you know, like 
that's one of my favorite Madball lines is when he's like, hardcore is my life. I'll carry the name. Yeah. You know, like that's so fucking ill, you know, and I feel the same way. And that's why I write some of that stuff. You know, it's not, it's not 10 out of 10 songs, but you're going to get one, you know, because that's who I am. Yeah. And I think of like, here's a funny example of nostalgia. Generation X has a song called Promises, which I think came out in 1978. And there's a lyric where they're talking about how hard things were for them in 1975. So they're like talking about like, yeah, we, we, we took our hard knocks three years ago. But, you know, that was a world of difference. Those three years were, you know, you know, worlds apart. So well, in three I, years when you're young is like so long. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, just and, think about the difference of you being 15 and being 18. And also the difference between, you know, a, before punk is even a thing to like, it's like the biggest thing in the country. Sure. Yeah. yeah, when when you're getting smashed by Teddy Boys because you're looking like a punk in 75, 76, coming out of glam and stuff, uh, he, obviously you're going to be able to wax poetic when everyone else at your shows is now looking like you and it, it's different. You're going to be able to tell a story of the way it was before that. But, I mean, I think that's an important part of why hardcore is self-referential and in love with itself because – it learned from punk. I mean, let's let's talk about Coxborough, where are they now? Off shock troops, you know. I believed in Julie, you know, I believed in Tony, I believed in Joe, I believed in Jimmy. You know, he's referencing like Joe Strummer, Jimmy Percy, all of them, and that and then they're saying, Where are they now? Like they're criticizing people that came a year or a year or two before and saying that, you know, you told us all this stuff and now you're not around anymore or you've signed to a major or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, hardcore, formative hardcore bands grew up on these songs and stories to to bring into hardcore when they started looking at themselves, you know? Yeah, right, and that's like, the great early diss track, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's another topic for another time like because if you talk about being self-referential that's another like little lane of hardcore is the the diss track of you know you sold out or you know where are you like you're a dropout like this and that yeah Yeah. like a punk is dead by crass where it's like they're they're taking shots at people they felt let them down and they're you know we're the real thing these people sing about anarchy we're living anarchy which is true that's what happened yeah but it's it's like, you know, writing actually writing the name Steve Jones into your lyrics. It's like, can you be any less poetic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it continues right because it goes straight through New Direction, you know, and then Gorilla Biscuits gets it on a Ten Yard Fight song, you know. Yeah, and and, and they really do. That's really them this dissing, you know, Civ or whoever, you know, this those people. Yeah, but but that's the the great thing is the youthful passion that is punk and hardcore, you always turn and distrust the, I mean, you hero worship and distrust the former generation, <laughs> you know, right. you, you like, there's no way youth of today is not going to be a major staple in your record collection, but you're still going to talk shit on Ray and Porcel being sellouts, you know? So it is like this, 
you've got two hands. One like is nice and strokes you, and then the other hand punches you in the face. You know, and well, that's the beauty of punk. Yeah, and a symptom of being young is everything is black and white, and everything is so over exaggerated, right? So, I mean, you said it yourself, Daniel. It goes from like a hero hero worship to being totally feeling like betrayal. But you know? still, but still, not giving up those records because you know that they are important, they are formative, and you do love them. But you can still criticize and talk shit on them, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, as you get older, you can realize like the importance. Yeah, and, and the gray area. Yeah, you, you just understand like it's important these statements were made, and it doesn't always matter so much if the artist like stands behind everything, right? It's it's there for you to take and interpret your own way and and apply it to your life your own way. And that's why like this stuff is timeless, you know? Now, when you have the combination of people like putting something down and then living it and backing it up forever, like, you know, we all have our own feelings on earth crisis and we've talked about it on the pod many times, you know, I think we all like the firestorm seven inch a lot, but earth crisis was a very divisive band in the nineties. But if you think about it in the context of today, 2021 you're like god damn those guys lived it so like whether you like rode for it or you didn't ride for it it's like there's a extra level of like respect put on the earth crisis name because it's like man at least those guys were serious and they lived it and they proved like everyone wrong yeah they didn't hypocrisize themselves you know they they completely like you say lived it and can be looked back upon as yeah it may be very divisive what they brought to the scene, militant, straight edge, uh, not necessarily brought to the scene, but what exploded because of, of them is like militancy and straight edge and, and veganism. Um, and, and straight metal. Riffs. And yeah. And, and no going more, more metal. But <laughs> yeah. I, I still think that if they were like, you know, getting drunk at TAGI Fridays and eating hamburgers in 1999, it doesn't like, make the firestorm seven inch less important, but the fact that like they still like back up everything, it makes it even radder. It just puts like an extra stamp on it. But like, regardless of if they lived up to it or not, the seven inch by itself would still be important. And that's like, you know, the youth of the day catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their journey, both musically with what, people thought they were about and took to the next level, et cetera. It it becomes a really interesting tale all the way along. And all those people who talk shit on them, um, most of those people are not still around and those crisis are. So I always think of the first step as being like, this is how youth of today could have been like, this is if youth of today were like a hundred percent practice what you preach, this is how it would have played out. Like, cause those guys are the real deal. And, you know, one of them joined a, you know, joined a, a, a Buddhist monastery. Okay. Well, what's not Krishna, just substitute Buddhism for that. Like they follow a really same, very similar trajectory, but I think they really, they're, they're more, they're the real deal. <laughs> like, But aren't they just applying They're They're taking like the youth of the day thing and saying like, this thing is so great, but you know, a couple of dudes like let me down. That'll never be me. So it's like influenced by that stuff. Yeah. They can't, they can't live in that space without completely 
basing themselves on chain and youth of today. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and as much as I love it, yeah. they just never wanted to, they knew the pinnacle of the sound is what they play. So they never wanted to experience it further. Whereas, you know, YOT morph into shelter, start playing different things. Walter goes off, does quicksand, you know, there's lots of other things going on there. Whereas, they have the ability to look back and go, no, I'm just going to cherry pick this stuff I like and base my existence on this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Ben, you got a little quieter there. Oh, sorry. I, I wasn't talking directly into the microphone. Now yeah. I know. Hey, live and learn, <laughs> man. Um, do you guys want to touch any more on the subject or should we move on? I would be really interested in hearing... You know, if anybody uh, has any opinions that listen to this, you can either email in at 185milesouth at gmail.com or what might be even more interesting is if you wanted to speak your piece on it on a voice memo and send that in. That might be really cool for us to revisit at a later date. Yeah, if you hit us with a voice memo, I'll drop it into a pod. How about that? Side A versus side B. All right, we're bringing in Posse Chris for some side A, side B. So we got Dan Sant, we got Bedge, and we got Posse Chris. I chose this one, and uh, it's the Trail of Lies 7 inch uh, called Fearless. Came out Triple B 2019. A two song banger. It is literally side A versus side B. Do you like Fearless or do you like Strong Willed more? And uh, let's go to you, Chris. Yeah, these are, these are both strong songs, both really good. Um, one thing that I thought about as I was listening to it, I, I don't know if uh, if I've heard people mention this before, but this band really reminds me a lot of Gravemaker from Vancouver. Um, like everything about them, really, like the the sound, their uh, the vocals, um, both awesome live bands that just destroy. Um, you know, Gravemaker was a band that carved out their niche through a lot of hard touring and, and just hitting the road constantly and being broke and, and, and doing it. Um, so I, I don't know. It just kind of makes me wonder if, if that's a band that if they had better visuals and, and design elements, if they might've popped more out of the gate. Um, Cause trail of lies is a band that has awesome, like a plus aesthetics. Um, you know, they're nothing new. They're simple, but they're like beautiful and their simplicity and the colors like the teal or like sky blue, whatever that is with the logo is, is like just so strong and simple, but the, the, just the tint just kind of makes it them. And, and it's iconic, even though it's simple, which is, is really cool. Anyways, enough thoughts about just the band in general. Um, between these two songs, both awesome songs, I'm going side B. Um, I just, it's a really cool song start to finish. Like I love how it comes in with the ripping fast palm muted part for the, the verse. And then with the chorus, it, it keeps up that pace, but um, you know, it opens up. And then with the breakdown, the breakdown is kind of a fun journey too. Cause it, you know, it, it drops to the guitars to bring the mosh and and the path to the mosh is interesting because 
you think that it's building up into this brutal breakdown, but instead they ride into this like two-step Tom beat part before you get to this smash everyone around you part. Um, so I, I just think it's cool that this, this breakdown kind of tells a story. <laughs> the stories look out everyone. It's time for violence. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going side B, strong willed. Getting the All right. Ben, uh, what story does this album tell you? Well, first, I want to say this kind of reminds me of Re- Retaliate if Zach had a very sore throat. But um, Retaliate is the best. So I just want to make that, make that clear. Um, do you think it's kind of weird for a band in 2019 that plays this style of music to be doing a, two, a proper two song single? Like, is that a strange like format to put out a record? Yeah, but I embrace it because, well, I would like it to be on a, a two song 12 inch, but I think that it's a great move. Like after you do an LP, if you don't have like the tracks to put out another LP, give me two bangers. I fucking love it. Like I think the, best thing a band can do is put out good material. And if you got two dope ass songs and you don't want to make people wait for two years for your next LP, put them out there. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, mind force does it. I think it's a, it's a becoming a bit of a trope now as well, which is a great thing. I think it totally harkens back. Not that it's intentional, but it's harkening back to like 77 where bands would, that's all you get for a little while is a two song, seven inch. But do you think it's weird that like, obviously seven inches are like whatever they cost now, $10, $8. I don't know. But like that you're, they're asking someone to pay that kind of money for, for only two songs. Well, you can also just listen to it on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. That's true. I think there's two things at play here. I think, I think one is this is more, uh, about the time that we're living in and, and the realities of streaming and how people listen to music uh, where you could put out two songs. And I think, I think the record is more there for the collectors, which for the collectors, they don't care if there's two songs or eight songs. They just care that it looks cool and they can have it and, and own it. And totally. Know. That's kind of how I, I look at it. Totally makes sense. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for making a single with two songs on it. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of my favorite records are two song singles. Um, so, but to me, the winner is the clear winner is um, strong willed. It's up tempo. It sounds urgent. I'm not getting that from from the A side. So I'm, I'm going to go side B as well. Right on, Daniel. Let's go to you. Okay. So this is a band that I'd seen live before I ever heard them recorded. Um, and there was big, big amount of hype about them. Um, and they put on a fucking great show, but the vocals live, it is just monotone one te- just one er, 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 like, like a seal almost. So, uh, you know, I've checked them out recorded since, and I, I like that you can hear more range slightly uh, live than live, I mean. Um, but the thing I love about this band, and Chris touched on it, is like they have such a good lineage of they're a Syracuse band, and they like are really tapping into that musically and lyrically. 
um you know all their merch is done by grez and it it uh not grez sorry uh guav and you know it the fun trend of hardcore has come back around to all of that stuff being like fucking sick again you know um and i really i really like you know how how openly and aggressively straight edge they are as well so <laughs> um let's get to the songs fearless um side a it's a good moshy song and it probably it probably works much better live especially the fearless parts like for call and response and like the crowd participating it's a little dull on those parts recorded um but it's a good song it's just not mega memorable you know now strong willed on the other side is much more ripping comes in with like speed and attack super uh cool structure of the song too um like chris touched on that it builds and then it tricks you with like a total two-step moment and then it then the break is just like smashing and uh one thing i will say is that the vocals there's guest vocals here i don't know if it's someone in the band or it's someone else but the guest vocals are so good on the strong willed part and the it's like got uh, two lines that are really cool and it makes side be a clear winner for me. All right. Well, I'm taking side a, but I'll talk about side B first. Um, yeah. This song rips. Daniel touched, touched a little bit on the voice. I fucking love this guy's voice. It's so brutal and shredded and he can just like hold out. I mean, I now I guess I'm talking about the first song, but when he hits that fearless, it's like, Good God, there's not another fucking vocalist out there, you know, other than maybe Vogel, that I would want, like, yelling that part. He does it so perfect. Fearless. Like, monotone, like Dan says, but I think it works so well. Um, Strong-willed, love it. Fast song, total, like, satisfaction is the death of desire influence. Um, I love when songs start fast on the toms and then switch to the hi-hat. I think it's just a great hardcore trick. Um and then any mosh song that does like the long ring out with like the kick drum thundering, doom, 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 doom. Like you just know shit's a coming and it a comes on your ass. You know, this is so fucking <laughs> ill. And it comes on like your ass. That. Not, well, not like that. It's coming for your ass, whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fearless. This fucking track is so ill. One of my favorite heavy hardcore tropes is, when you do like the youth crew tom beat, but you have like the heavy metallic guitar palm muting over the top of it. I absolutely love it. It's here. Those choruses are fucking great. I love that they hit it again at the end instead of like ending on a mosh part. It's like, I just think this chorus is so fucking good. Hit it again. And they did. So I love this song. I think both these songs for the genre are near perfect, but fearless is the fucking track, dude. I'm taking side a, and uh and i'm losing this battle three to one but whatever hey chris have you seen them live yes what do you think about my complaint about the vocals being just a little too samey 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 throughout the set Mm -hmm. um i don't know i could see it it didn't really stand out to me i was more just kind of like watching the insanity and enjoying Uh, i thought you were probably doing 
doing flips and and shit in true <laughs> Posse Chris fashion. Don't try to turn Posse Chris into critical Chris. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm just not hearing say it. that. I was just uh, going to say that, man. You can't, he's not going to throw this thing around to the bus, man. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to throw him under the bus and I'm not talking shit or anything. I'm just saying, I'm glad to hear on the recorded thing. It didn't sound as, well, for lack of a better term, basic. Well, we're going to start a GoFundMe and we're going to fly this dude out the next time that Daniel performs live. And we're going <laughs> to sit on, we're going to sit on the side of the stage with a notepad and, and get real critical. So we'll hey. see what happens. Hey, check out that 185 Miles South theme tune. That's right. Hey, you killed it on recording like this dude did. Let's see if you can do it live. <laughs> Good you know? point. Good point. All right. All right. Well, let's go on to the next record. This one was chosen by Bedge. Uh, the Beach Rat 7-inch. Wasted Time 2018 Bridge 9 Records. And Ben, let's go to you. Um, This sounds a lot like Lifetime. And if it's the singer of Lifetime. It's the it's Brian Baker, the guitarist of uh, Minor Threat, Dag Nasty, and Bad Religion, and it's the I believe the bassist and guitarist of Bouncing Souls, and I don't know who the drummer is. Um, so when I got this seven inch, I I texted Dan Yeeman from Lifetime, who's not in this band, just to see if he knows who wrote the music, and he said he believes it's Brian Baker who wrote the music which surprised me since it sounds so much like Lifetime. So that either means Lifetime already sounded like Dag Nasty with Ari singing over it, and, or it means that Brian has studied Lifetime and knows how to write songs for Ari's voice, which did, is just like, that would be amazing if that were the case, and it might be the case. Did Dan, um, did Dan say, who is this? Yeah, he's like, who the, how'd you get my fucking number? <laughs> You stalker. I already have a restraining order against you. Um, friend, I, I've asked when, when this came out, I was like, oh my God, it's this is incredible. And I would like ask friends of mine, have you heard the Beach Rats record? And all of them were like, yeah, it's not that good. And I'm like, are, you, are we listening to the same record? And they were all put off by Ari's kind of lazy, laid back vocals. But I love fast hardcore with laid back vocals uh case in point um the middle class and rhino 39 which are very very early examples of what you might even consider pre-hardcore but you know it's something that you don't hear that much you know if the music is fast and furious usually it's someone yelling over it uh so going into the songs uh, lonely, lonely for the night is a rager with a great breakdown. And, you know, I love breakdowns. So that's uh so I'm plus one for that. Uh, stay all night is more on the melodic tip sports stink kind of stinks. It's just not very good. I hate sports by seven seconds is still the flagship anthem for this subject matter and side B skins, brains, and dubs. There's a seven seconds reference there. And that song rules. And it has hard ass verses and then slower singy choruses. And then that last part, which rules too. And side B uh, track two wasted time is a waste of time until that last part. So, so three out of five songs are flawless and two of those songs are on side A. So side A wins. How much more laid back would the vocals be 
if that song was called Skins, Brains, and Dabs. Oh, yeah. That would be uh, that's prob- that's probably what was going on there. <laughs> Chris, let's go to you. This is a this is a good hardcore record. It's it's well written. Um, it's cool. I, I just I haven't listened to it a ton to be honest. Um, another one that I checked out for this podcast, uh, you know, more deeply. Uh, but unlike Neverending Game, where the more I listen to it, the more it just grabbed me. Like I still think this is good. This is you know my initial impressions kind of kind of stand. Like this is good. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't have any complaints. Um, I, I mean, they do some of the discordant uh, guitar stuff a little bit too much, uh, like on the end of Sports Stink, um, which I understand is, you know, an homage to maybe Black Flag or, or something, but I just, I don't, I'm not really into it. But outside of that, I think this is solid. I think it's really cool to see hardcore vets showing that they still have the chops. I think it's, it's cool to see them still loving hardcore and having a desire to play that style of music. Um, but I usually, you know, when I, when I'm in the mood to listen to something by these people, it's usually their default to their, their other bands, you know, their previous efforts. And that's not to dis- discredit this by any means. I think, Part of that is is nostalgia and you know familiarity with the previous efforts. But those are my thoughts on this. I think uh, <laughs> Ben mentioned this already, but I I put uh, seven seconds reference on side A, seven seconds reference on side B. So that's a toss up. Uh, sports do not stink. Sports rule. So I'm going <laughs> side B. Um, I do kind of like that song sports stink though. Like the first part of it, just like the fast part, but it, then it kind of loses me towards the end. Um, but sports, side sports do you like, I like them all baby. Oh, okay. Football MLB funny side story. Uh, we were on tour of seven seconds once. And uh, I, uh, Steve had a, a King's Jersey on. So I asked him about that song and he's like, yeah, I don't, you know, we were, punk rockers is more about like the vibe of like fuck jocks but he's like i love sports <laughs> yeah. and they, they throw muhammad ali under the bus on that on that song which is like wow you're going there and kevin seconds has a basketball tattoo on his leg like a little basketball icon you notice that Mm-mm. yep he's had it for years that's cool uh all right i'll, I'll go and then we'll shoot it to daniel I think it's a cool seven inch. When I first heard it, I was like, Oh my God, this is the biggest lifetime bite since can't slow down. And then thank God I Googled it. So I didn't embarrass myself like I normally do. And uh, it's the singer lifetime. So what's up? That's rad. And then I was like, man, I really enjoy this uh, first track. Lonely for the night. Great opener. Stay all night. Uh, second track. I think this is the closest they come to sounding like lifetime. And I absolutely love it. It's probably my favorite song on the record. Sports stink. They're totally wrong. This podcast supports the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Lakers, the Raiders, the Los Angeles Kings, Crystal Palace. Oh, come on. Crystal Palace Football Club. Also, the Cholos de Tijuana, the Toros, even the Zonkies, and shout out Kazushi Sakuraba. And I'm a Clipper fan. I'm a Clipper fan. Hey, there you go. But uh, yeah, sports stink. 
No, they don't, dude. All right, side B, Skins, Brains, and Dubs. This has cool melodies. I think overall it's probably the best song on the record, um, although Stay All Night was my favorite. And Wasted Time, I do really love the guitar hooks, like on the verses, um, a lot. But because my favorite song is on side A, I am going side A, off the power and nostalgia of Stay All Night. What's up? And let's go to you, Daniel. All right, well. It's it's been well stated, but I'm gonna say it again. I'd never heard of this. You know, this seems like it came out and what two years ago, and I I'd never even heard of it. And so when I saw that it was on this playlist that we were gonna dive into, I'm like, well, what is that? And then my ignorant self just assumed like, oh, Beach Rats, probably some Oxnard band Zach is pumping. <laughs> <laughs> and uh no because then when i put it on i was like oh my god what a bad religion dag nasty lifetime ripoff <laughs> that is exactly what i was thinking and what do you know it was mr baker and mr Ari cats i was like oh there's <laughs> there's a reason this sounds so much like it and i'm here for it um lonely for the night I like the song okay, like as it's going through. And then I love when it goes to the the really and, and Ben uh chimes in really well with that about lazy vocals. I really love the way um he goes into the chorus palm muted outro-ish part where he comes in super lazy. It's almost like Jonathan Richmond-esque with the lackadaisical like when he does the lonely for the night and then it goes into the palm mutant part near the end of the song. It's really cool. And, and it is, uh, has good staying power. Like it makes you think, Oh, I want to listen to that one again. Stay all night. I thought was extremely lifetime, but, uh, just decent for me. Sports stink. Of course they don't. Manchester city football club is godlike. Um, as well as, you know, Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound fighting Godzilla and saving us all is uh, important as well. So we go on to the side B and the best song by a mile open side B. And that's why I'm going side B one song can conquer the entire seven inch. And that's the way it works for me. Um, I love that song. I love how catchy it is. I love how upbeat. Um, how bouncy poppy it's power pop, but punk at the same time. Super cool. Love it. And, uh, I'm, I'm very glad to have heard this. I, you know, like I said, it came and came and went and flew right past me before I'd even known it. Yeah. You would think by who this is, that it would make a bigger splash, but I had never heard of it either. So and uh, also being bridge nine too, they, they, they at least let you know what's coming out. A lot of it, you, put your nose up and go, you know, uh, no, thank you. No polar bear club or whatever for me, please. Yeah. This seems to check all the boxes and it just totally whiffed past me. So, Hey, who knows, Ben, what was the, uh, the total on this one? Did you keep track? Yeah, it's two to two, uh, two for side a, uh, me and Zach and two for side B, um, Chris and Dan. All yeah. Right. And, and skin brains and dubs. I mean, obviously, ending side a with a seven seconds reference and beginning side B with a seven seconds reference 
is really, I mean, I'm a nostalgia man. I love God, that God tier move. Yeah, yeah, and um, Ari is a huge Seven Seconds fan. If you listen to that old Lifetime song, he even mentions them in the lyrics. He says, "Minor Threat, Seven Seconds SSD." You know that one? Straight edge, hardcore. What's it do this to me? Like those are yeah. lyrics. <laughs> and then he goes, one eight five miles south. What a podcast!" Hey, shout out Ari. That's a good ass <laughs> lyric. <laughs> All right, let's go on to uh we're gonna do the punitive damage seven inch. Uh we don't forget convulse records 2020. This thing's a fucking ripper. And Chris, let's go to you. Yeah, first shout out to Steph of 2020 Super Seven fame. If you haven't mm-hmm. heard that one, check it out. Um all right. First thing, this is this is two different recordings. Uh, the the side B is the demo, and then the side A is uh, the new the new songs. Um, I'm taking side A. The recording's better. Uh, the songs are better. Steph has really kind of grown into her snarl. Um, I both sides are awesome. Uh, side B has one of my favorite moments of any of their songs on the song, nothing uh, that sing along where it's like, we're nothing like you. We're nothing like you will never be like you such an epic, epic part. And when they play it live, it's so sick. Um, I think this is a band that I am. I have no doubt in my mind that their best stuff is ahead of them this this record rages and you listen to it and there's some gnarly riffs on here there's there's a ton of really cool little things like like almost like carry on influence tremolo harmonic parts and and different interesting things like that that don't make it just like basic straightforward fast hardcore um but the recording while not bad it's just I I feel like a better recording would bring some of those interesting things out a little bit more. Um, and, and I feel like the next thing that they do is going to be like next level, like top tier hardcore. Uh, these are all awesome musicians. Um, you know, Steph, uh, Steph and Kristen, the bass player are both in RJC, um, and other bands, uh, you know, the drummer Alex was in change and keep it clear. And, uh, you know, Mike is in change. He's the one that plays all the solos, like all the hard, hard guitar stuff. Um, while I hold it down on the other end and just jump around like an idiot, uh, Mike is doing like the skill stuff. Um, so yeah, these are great musicians. They're a powerhouse live. Like they're so good live. Like I can't express it. And they did, you know, they did one tour down the coast and, in at the end of February and then COVID hit and just kind of ruined, not ruined everything, but just kind of stunted like what I think was coming for this band. And that was just like everyone knowing how sick they are. Um, But still like, I think they're getting a lot of attention just on the awesomeness of this record. And and it's super cool to see. I'm going side a, the newer songs. All right. This thing totally rips baited the first song. I love how they don't make you wait too long with the feedback, which is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, why am I listening to 20 seconds of feedback on a record? Like they got, they nailed it here. You got the feel of like the feedback. So, you know, it should be listened to loud, but they don't make you sit on it too long. And that scream she comes in with 
when the riff hits is fucking amazing. Like it's perfect. And then there's like, like Chris was saying, there's like little tricks in here that make this stand out. Like, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a gnarly trick like he was describing, but I just love the long pick slide. And I also love like that little tiny blip of like the feedback squeal that you get on the pause, like before it goes fast. And then also I, I just love the format of the song of like doing like kind of a, a moshy intro and then just going fast and like not doing another breakdown or tempo or anything. Just fucking ill. Uh, the song Smug Rat, I love it because it sounds like an insult that Dan would say to someone, hey, you're a smug rat. <laughs> totally perfect. Imposter, now they hit it with like a mid-tempo banger. Fucking great. This side rules. But side B, good God. I swear to God, nothing like might be the best song ever. Like just that part that Chris said, like the, I'm nothing like you, I'm nothing like you. You know, that is so fucking good. And then I love when the breakdown riff comes in. There's two things I love about it. First off, I love that they like milk and stay on that one chord. Like they don't go into like a crazy riff. It's like, no, we're just going to hit like this one fucking note for a long ass time and just do crazy down strumming like as fast as you can do it. So fucking ill. And then also her vocal cadence that it comes in on. It's like, while you have that one note just getting downstromed and beat to death, like her vocal cadence is so ill and insane. It just knocks out of the park. Like this is, and also I should say it's 43 seconds. Like this is a perfect, perfect fucking hardcore song. Like I heard this song and I made a new like playlist for myself on Spotify. It was just called Goat. You know, and it's like, it has like three songs sitting in there right now. It's like only the best shit. Like, I literally think like, uh, you know how like we used to send shit out to space? It's like, oh, if the aliens find it, like, here's our representation of Earth. Like, I would do... Time capsule? Yeah, like a time capsule thing. I'd be like, this is like perfect modern hardcore. Like, this is a lane of like 40 years of this music. And here is an example of it played fucking perfect. It's so good. And the side doesn't let up. 29 seconds, no compromise. It's just, it's like a heavy, it's a drum heavy song. Like uh, I get a lot of like the early nineties Boston vibes, like where SSD would have songs that wouldn't necessarily like hit into like a, like a straight beat on the drums. It's more of like a rhythmic thing. Uh, So they do that great. And then again, ending with enough, Another mid-tempo ripper. You know, they did it before on Imposter. They do it here again on Enough. And yeah, her voice just is so great on the song as well. I love every song on this record, but I'm going side B on the power of the song Nothing. And Daniel, let's go to you. Well, I am going to agree with a lot of the things that you've both said, so I'm not going to bore the listener and rehash song by song. I'm going to say the way her scream comes in on that first jam on baited that wins side a over side B. It's just, I, I, I skip back to that song. Like, I don't know, like 10 times. I, I fucking love the way the song unfurls itself into just pure rage. It's so good. But like you say, nothing on side B is, such an amazing song too. Um, all the songs are really good and I really recommend everyone that's listening to this, like put this on right away on the playlist. Um, so good, but 
just for that sheer like moment, you know, like sometimes there are just moments in songs that elevate them over everything else. And the way uh, Steph's vocals come in screaming on baited is just, it, it just wins side A over side B for me. It's funny, like having this and that trailer lies like on the same like episode. Cause I literally just want to pay to like hear her and that dude, like just yell at each other. Like do like the vocal version of a stare, like a vocal version of a staring contest, you know, like, all right, you go, ah, you go, ah, see vocal test 2021. Right. Dude. Cover a, vocal you do on a podcast just called vocal test. You get different singers on to just <laughs> to do the vocal test. Dude, yeah. that is, that is a comp I would pay for. Like, <laughs> no, seriously, like 14 different singers, all just doing vocal tests. How so sick Ill. would it be if the, you know, integrity had put it out as an instrumental as a B side on it, like a A B seven inch. <laughs> so yeah, like how how the hip hop records at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like hip hop <laughs> records, like having the instrumental on side B, that'd be so ill. Yeah, maybe instead of a Cyware Fair split. Yes, <laughs> I want the acapella. I want the Dude, vocal test acapella. I know, and then the clean version where. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I guess <laughs> the the, the, na- the normal one is clean. Anyway, no, the clean version is the guitars have no distortion on them. <laughs> oh, how about that? <laughs> All right, Ben, let's go to you on this record. Um, I wanted to circle back to something you said earlier, Zach. Um, you created a, a playlist and you put the song Nothing on it. And you said the playlist is entitled Goat. And there are so far only th- only three songs total on it. What are the two other songs? Conceive Through an Act of Violence and Friend or Foe. What's up? Friend or friend or foe by Agnostic Front and and what's the other one? That's Hate, hate Breed. Oh, Hate Breed. Yeah, yeah. So I got okay. three tracks so far. Pretty right. good competition or uh good pretty company. good uh, company for yeah. Puny D there. Yeah. I was gonna say nothing by negative approach and then nothing by punitive damage back to back. Um yeah. I like that. There, there's nothing, no pun intended, I really have to say. The last song on Side B does a, a guitar bendy towards the end, so I guess I'm going with Side B on this record. So we're at we're tied. Uh, uh, two two for Side A, two for Side B. Yeah, and a bendy and I think, wins it. And I think the unanimous uh, that uh, nothing needs to be on the LP. They need to face-to-face that shit. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I can't get enough of this song. Just put it on every record. It can be like the uh, the punitive damage version of Disconnected by Face to Face, or or, or, or <laughs> sheer sheer terror by Government Issue, where every every al- record has them doing it, but they do it more wacky and more annoying with each record. Oh my <laughs> that's god, that's kind of like Face to Face. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 